Hey, it's Jim Paff again, and this is the Against Nice podcast, where we believe that nice people are evil because they want to run your lives. We promote culture and government that values voluntary decisions left up to you. This is a way to promote justice and kindness that thinks about the needs of others before ourselves. Go to our website, politicsisntnice.com, and join our email list. The button's right there at the top right, politicsisntnice.com. And welcome again. This is Jim Paff, the Against Nice podcast. And I got a really special guest today. It's Cliff Maloney Jr. He is the president of Young Americans for Liberty. I have the honor, and Cliff asked me to participate on being the national on the National Advisory Board of Young Americans for Liberty. This is a critical organization, student organization. I'll let Cliff talk a little bit more about it, but they're getting the kids on college campus with a message of uh, how liberty can win in this country. Well, welcome everyone. I'm here with my friend uh, Cliff Maloney from Young Americans for Liberty. He's president of that organization. I've had the privilege of being able to be a friend, hopefully an encourager of what they're doing. This is a fantastic organization, getting to young people with a message of liberty that we really need, particularly in this day and age. I, it's just really a problem that we're having with this COVID-19 thing and just, you know, even before that, just the expansion of government, the fact that young people don't often understand what the principles of liberty are, but they're open to it. And Cliff is on the front lines really helping that. So Cliff, I'm just glad for you to join me on my podcast today. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jim. Hey, uh, tell people a little bit about Young Americans for Liberty, what you're trying to accomplish, where it came from, which I think is a great and interesting story, but you've really taken it to the next level. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you for the uh, the guidance, the mentorship, and kind of all the advice you've given us over the years. So, no, we appreciate that. So, uh, Young Americans for Liberty founded back in 2008, kind of after the uh, Ron Paul era um, of students for Ron Paul. This, uh, this little guy was exciting all of these young kids, this old, uh, hardcore, constitutional, conservative, liberty-type candidate. And uh, so my predecessor, Jeff Frazier, our founder, he said, you know, there's something here. We should, we should continue this. We should figure out how to take this energy and, uh, and try to make it something that is longstanding with young people in this country and try to reach more people with the message. And so we were founded with this idea of identifying, educating, training, and mobilizing youth activists to make liberty win, right? Be effective. And, uh, you know, one of the major things um, we've seen success with was in uh, 2018, uh, we've continued to identify, continue to educate students, continue to train them. But I'll say on the mobilized part, we launched a program under our C4 called Operation Way at the Door. And obviously, Jim, you were right by our side when we did this. And a lot of people called me crazy. You didn't. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, but the reality was, if we're going to take this energy and harness young people's energy, um, we decided we'd go out and try to build a bench, try to build the minor leagues um, of liberty leaders across the country. And so uh, in our first two years, uh, don't forget, 2019, there are still state legislative races. Uh, we did 107 races. We won 56 of them. And uh, we're, we're pretty hell-bent on trying to win 250 of these races by the end of 2022. So the staff is growing. The organization is growing for our liking that we are actually delivering results uh, for Liberty. 
Uh, it's not just flash in the pan. It's not, you know, unwinnable uh, or insurmountable odds. Um, we have a scalable, measurable plan to actually reshape the country. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm excited about it too. I, you've, you know, you're always going to have some success, varying levels of success when you're trying to undertake something like this. You're going to hit as many as you can that are really stay firm with Liberty. I think it's kind of interesting. You've gotten some people elected and then they kind of failed in a way and you had to call them out. I mean, this is so rare in politics in my opinion right now. Well, we call it the soup to nuts and I get made fun of because apparently that's an uh, old person saying, um, and being 28 years old, I, I heard it once <laughs> and I like the saying, but I call it soup to nuts, meaning, you know, you can't just vet candidates endorse candidates and then spend the money to get them elected. You've got to have this, this fourth, uh, you know, component, this last component, which is you've got to hold them accountable. Um, and I think the tough part is at the federal level, we've got a lot of great friends, people like club for growth and freedom works at the federal level though. It is difficult. It is difficult to push back and hold people accountable because you know, a congressman, I mean, you know, you've worked in those halls, you yep. have to have millions of dollars to be able to, I won't say buy out a congressman, but to be able to compete with the different offerings they're getting. Where yep. at the state level where we play, we can spend, you know, between twenty dollars and $50,000 on a race, get a Liberty candidate elected, they get in and we can be a resource to them and an asset and we can help them. But you're also not dealing with outside groups putting a million dollars, you know, in the, in the special interest. I mean, you're dealing with it. But that's been the thing that I think Yao has tried to lead on, which is it's not just vetting and identifying candidates. It's not just getting them elected. It's then holding them accountable. And like you said, you know, we, we had 56 wins. And we have a coalition that is both people that have won, that, that we obviously deployed for and won. But we've also got other people who, you know, they, they got elected and they're hardcore liberty. And so we brought them in. And we have roughly 90 legislators around the country. Well, at the beginning of this year, something happened, and that was we had a gentleman in Vermont who voted for a $20 million tax increase as a plastic bag ban. I mean, completely out of step with Liberty and out of step with his survey, which he pledged, you know, his honest, truthful uh, philosophy to us and what he would do in office, and he failed on that. And, Jim, what I love was we sent an email to all of the legislators uh, I'll, I'll say it was cordial. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, it wasn't hard. It wasn't, it wasn't cutthroat, but it was pretty blunt. We said, listen, we are here for a different reason. We are here because we are trying to build a bench of people that truly believe in a philosophy. We're not here to just get people elected and have access. You know, we want to reshape the country. And the most amazing thing happened. So many other legislators shot me back an email and they said, thank you. They said, so many of us, the, 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 the rare few that there are, but so many of us feel as if it doesn't pay to be principled, right? Nobody backs you up. You know what, when you sell out, you get plenty of things from special interests and lobbyists and, you know, every, every, everybody under the sun. But when you stay principled, it is rare for it to be a benefit. And that is what Yao is creating. We are creating an atmosphere where we can hold people accountable and we give people that backbone, that reassurance that if they stay principled, they can still keep their seat in the state house. And, and by the way, that's not hard to do. It really isn't. You know, uh, you know, everyone knows by now I've worked for Thomas Massey. 
I mean, this is a guy when he went into this situation where, um, where the Congress was going to spend $2.3 trillion to get us out of a mess that they and governors around the country created to begin with. And he said, we got to vote on it. I mean, for that, for a few days there, he looked like he just was going to get his neck. He cut, cut off at the neck, but he stood in there. And now I have to say he's got momentum going. It's not just that he had a candidate who's running against him in the primary that we found out is a racist, but, you know, and that's a, that's one of those quirky things that comes in and changes a race around. But this is a guy who, when he stood firm, it attracted people to him. I have, I have said for years, it's so, so frustrating to me with Republicans in particular who are supposed to be so liberty principled and really aren't in so many ways. But, you know, you fail in politics when you don't stand for principle. And you are right. There's a lot of money out there. There are special interests. There are people that get your ear this way or that way, and they seem important. They tell you how wonderful you are, and then you don't end up, uh, you know, falling through on the principles you said because they have your ear. But if you have this internal thing that drives you, and then you go act upon it, people love that. I think the American people are looking for that in a big way. I know you see that on college campuses kids are like oh wow i never thought about what you guys are saying oh, that's not too bad and then they start joining your groups i mean this is this is how we win in the long run i think yeah somebody said once uh nick freitas in a debate i heard him say uh nick freitas from virginia he said courage is contagious and um you know it really struck me and i think that you will find that i think thomas's stance you know you're right he was a he was kind of a lone man out now they're all using his talking points. I mean, now they're all getting in line. I mean, I think, yeah. I think sometimes, you know, we see things as easy and we see things as simple and, you know, you don't want to go up against the tidal wave, but I really do think, I think there is a, 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 a an interest out there. There's energy out there for people to, to get involved and, you know, they, they want to, they want to be with those that are telling the truth and that are trying to really advance uh, things for, you know, the everyday man and the everyday woman. So, I think there's something to be said about that. You're right. We see it on campus. I mean, uh, people are yearning for something different. Uh, people do not want to be victims in this country. Uh, people want to be able to succeed and they don't want to be figuring out, you know, their privilege points and trying to decide, you know, if they have to feel guilty because they want to be successful. I mean, that type of narrative, it definitely is prevailing on college campuses, but I do, I do keep hope because there are so many people that are pushing back on that. Uh, so I think, I think you're spot on. Well, so let me kind of transition this to what we're going through right now, this whole COVID-19 thing. You guys on your website, by the way, you are the meme capital of the world, Young Americans for Liberty on Facebook. And I was very, very grateful to you for uh, highlighting one of mine one time, which I thought was a pretty good one. But uh, did very well. It, it, thank you. It's, but it, what we're seeing there, what you guys are doing an excellent job of highlighting out on social media is the absurdity of what's going on. People that are out in these protests in state capitals talking about, give us our freedom back, you know, quit, quit shutting things down, quit making everybody scared. People that are opening their businesses, which is their right to do. There's nothing constitutionally that allows a government to shut down businesses wholesale the way they are. Um, but they're just wanting to go back and do this or getting pulled off in handcuffs uh, I saw this uh, 
lady dressed like a stormtrooper you guys put out recently up in Canada. She got shoved down onto the ground, handcuffed because she was sharing, holding a fake gun, a fake uh, stormtrooper gun. I mean, it's crazy what's going on here. R really, what you guys are highlighting and showing and how people are reacting to that, that's really where the real change is going to come. That's going to be the support for these candidates that you've supported so often. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I think with the whole COVID situation, what's been frustrating for us is a lot of our students, uh, it's pretty rare for us to, and this is, I mean, we're an activist organization. So, I mean, obviously our students want to participate and they want to get the message out, but it's pretty rare for students to kind of be banging down our doors saying, listen, we need to take action. And that's what's happened uh, with this COVID situation. I mean, it's gotten so bad with government overreach that students are coming to us and saying, like, we want to take action. And so, We've uh, participated in over 20 protests now throughout the country. And here's the, here's the, the kind of the, the narrative we try to have our students lead with, um, because this conversation is not happening. And that is, this is a three-part equation. You have a health crisis, you have economic calamity that has come from that health crisis, and then you have government's role, or I should say what we're seeing is government tyranny, right? But there are three parts to the equation. And if you're going to be an adult, if you want to find a real solution, you've got to talk about the entire equation. You can't just get to the health part. Everybody agrees, okay, when the virus kills people and the virus, when you, you, know, when you get this, it is a virus, okay? Everybody agrees with that. Then a lot of people want to shut you down if you try to move past that and talk about economics, move past that and talk about government's role. You just want people to die, right? That's the response that you're hearing. And so that has been the thing we're trying to drive is, look, if you're going to really try to solve this problem, you got to look at the entire equation. Economics and government tyranny have to be part of the conversation paired with the health crisis. And so I'd say that's what's most frustrating for us. Um, but I mean it. I think there's an energy that's being created. I'm not saying I'm rooting for, for, for you know, these types of epidemics to come up and for these things to happen. But when they do come out, it, it really creates a push for people to, to, to think and to say, should a man or woman in the governor's mansion or the mayor's office get to dictate if I'm allowed to leave my house, if I'm allowed to go to work? And you'd hope, or at least what we're seeing from these protests, is most normal Americans are saying, hell no, you know, they should not have this power. Um, so that gives me some reassurance that uh, the spirit of the American people is still with freedom. Well, listen, we, they're trying to make this dichotomy in the media and some of these politicians between our health and economics because they define economics as money. It's just a subset of the whole economics discussion. In fact, that economics discussion that I know that you're trying to promote through Young Americans for Liberty that I talk about a lot, is it covers the health end of it. I mean, you, you destroy people's lives by shutting down an economy in ways that are as bad and in some cases worse than the truly tragic deaths that are taking place for people that get COVID-19, which, you know, we learn more and more now. We don't even know how many people really actually died from COVID-19, but that's a discussion for another time. But, but there's a lot of questions here. So this economics question and people going out and uh, opening their businesses when they're told not to and getting uh, out there to protest, they're actually arguing the point that needs to be argued, even with everything that we're trying to wade through on the health end of this. Yeah. And I think, I think that is, 
I mean, Jim, you're trying to have a rational conversation and that's just, <laughs> no, there's no room for that in the soundbite world that we live in. Right. I yeah. mean, that's the problem is I feel like anytime, uh, you know, even if I'm doing a Fox news hit, I'm always laughing. Like, you know, if you want to have any type of, of nuance to your answer and that's just not Fox, I mean, it's everybody, right. It's, yeah. it's, you've got to be able to boil it down to 10 seconds. Um, and this is just not something you can. And so it's, it's almost became this. So this is how I look at it. Government reacted and said, oh, gosh, people are going to blame us. So we need to take action. So then they overstepped completely and, and just way out of line, shutting down all these places and claiming their actions are minimizing the deaths. Right. So now it's a, it's politicized. Well, now people are blaming government because they did take action. And so you've got this weird cycle. And now, now it's even like people are now relying on government or or or. They are, they are putting their trust. You know, I talked to one of my friends who's a hairdresser and she was telling me like, well, you know, I didn't get unemployment. And I said, well, what are you going to do now? And she's like, well, you know, I'm hoping the government comes up with some new program. And it's like, at a certain point, we got to realize like the government isn't here to save us. And that to me is, is a dangerous slope because we never had somewhere, you know, we live in a, a 24 hour uh, or let's say a 24 minute news cycle. I mean, everybody's getting access to information, social media. So everyone's paying attention to this. So everybody knows the government stepped in. And I think it has created this dependency, or, or I don't want to use the word trust in government in the same sentence, but you are seeing this from people where they're relying on government. There's an expectation because government has been so loud about the fact that like they have to come in and save us. So I'm interested to see kind of how that plays out. I think it's interesting to know that politicians right now are taking advantage of uh, of Americans' need to understand what is going on. So, for example, I've laid out that I think the best approach to all this would have been from the very beginning to lay out every bit of information that you can. What we need to know from the health experts is what's worked. Does, does it, is it masks? Is it distancing? Is it you know? Give all that information because we're not all health experts. And then let people make a good decision on how to pull away from that. I wasn't critical, for example, early on necessarily of Cuomo maybe shutting down New Rochelle, New York, because you just had a blossoming of, of people getting the virus. So sometimes you've got to figure out a way to contain it when it gets that bad in a small area, but to shut down the entire state, that's crazy. So people, when they have information, can make good decisions. I mean, this is a basic economic principle. This is economics at its heart, frankly. And we never took that approach. But so now that these guys who are worried about their political lives, again, back to principles, they're worried about their political lives, so they're going to shut down the, the state to make sure that they don't get some blame for something bad that might happen instead of just trusting people to make good decisions. And that's where that reliance comes. Some of these people are really doing that because they are concerned that they have got to do something. Maybe some of these political leaders, others are very maliciously trying to shut things down because they have an authoritarian instinct and that's what needs to happen. And they don't trust the people in any way. Yeah. And one of the things I've found is that most of these politicians, you know, I, we, we, a talking point a lot of times is politicians are out of touch. Right. Yeah. But I have learned through this probably more than any other situation in my life, just how out of touch they are. You know, I come from a blue car working family and I got nothing against folks who don't uh, and they come from wealth. That's fine. That's a great thing. That's a beautiful thing. Free market capitalism you can create. 
But I got to tell you, you know, growing up outside of Philadelphia, uh, I think at the end of 2019, Market Watch put out a poll that showed that 70% of people have less than $1,000 in savings. And a lot of people will, will quote that. But what's fascinating to me is if you dive deeper, out of that 70% that have less than 1,000, how many of those have zero? Zero dollars in savings. It's 45%. And that to me in this type of situation is when you know politicians are out of touch because those 45% of Americans, 45% of Americans have zero dollars in savings. And I'm, you know, go out and buy Dave Ramsey. You know, I, can, I can make plenty of recommendations. I'm not trying to say that uh, it was uh, the responsible thing. I'm talking about pragmatically, okay, what's the solution now moving forward? Let's understand and get a brutal assessment of the facts. 45% of Americans have zero dollars in savings. How are they going to eat when you tell them they cannot work? And to work is to eat, right? To be able to put food on the table for your family, you need to have money to purchase food. People could say, oh, well, come on, everybody's got at least like a month worth of food. Okay, even if they had a month, this has been two, three, how long is this going to go on? Four, yeah. five, six months? So I think it is so clear that the politicians who just say, what do you mean? Just stay at home for three months. 45% of people don't have that option. But, you know, and I say this uh, just from statistics. I mean, that's because most people running for office, you've got to have the ability to have wealth and, and to, to, to have something to fall back on. They're not in touch with these people. And those protesters you're seeing, that angst for people that are saying, listen, I'm not saying everybody has to go to work, but give me the option, right? Give me the yeah. choice to work. That is that to me uh, just shows some of the, the ways these folks are out of touch. Yeah, none of these politicians are losing their salaries. Every one of them is getting paid. All the staffers on Capitol Hill are getting paid right now. Every bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., and most of the bureaucrats in the state capitals, they're still getting paid. Because, you know, we talk about this a lot, taxation is theft, <laughs> which, by the way, doesn't mean that there should be no taxation. Uh, there is a role for government. It's just oh, that we need to remember we're taking the money away from the people. These people who only 45% who, of people you talk about who don't have enough savings to last a couple months, those people are paying taxes until into May, even at middle class incomes and, and some lower class incomes before they start making money for themselves. When you take the state, federal, and local taxes out, this is, this is the fundamental problem. And by the way, you're seeing in some states right now, their, their tax revenues are so low right now because people are not making money that they're actually having to seriously talk about cutting uh, and, and laying off or, or for either short periods of time or permanently employees in these state and local governments. Quite frankly, they need to do it, but they're going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that they don't do that, where they won't fight tooth and nail to make sure that average Americans are able to take care of themselves. Yeah. It's crazy. No, I agree. I think it's, uh, once again, I just think you're going to see how out of touch some of these politicians are because they, I mean, don't even talk about cutting their pay. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, it, it's, it is crazy to me. Some of these governors can tell people they cannot open their businesses yet. You know, they're making, these six-figure salaries and living in a cushy mansion. It's uh, hypocritical is probably the word that comes to mind. Well, and the way they're going to argue it is they're going to say this, hey, the police and fire services aren't going to have money. Well, what about your uh, welfare bureaucrats? <laughs> what about, you know, the, uh, the other people in these other state agencies or federal agencies? So 
Absolutely crazy. Hey, I want to shift gears here because I do, you know, your organization, we started talking about it. I want to know what in the heck is happening on college campuses right now, uh, both in terms of, uh, we can ask this two ways, both in terms of what's happening be- when they're not on campuses right now, but, but really what's, what have you seen be beginning to outbreak? Young people are really attracted to the message of liberty. And if you just have a time to talk to them about it, and you guys are really on the front edge of that. Yeah. So a few comments there. So the first is I would say this, I mean, I think there are two ways on campus when campus is in session uh, to reach people, you know, you've got the uh, in classroom experience, the curriculum of a higher ed institution and getting a message across, reaching people, engaging them. That's the first path. The second path is trying to engage with people on campus, you know, through campus activism, and campus outreach, uh, doing, you know, uh, uh, campus groups or, or just even even just hosting speakers, getting people when they're involved and engaged on that on-campus campus experience. Um, now, to be blunt with you, Jim, uh, the in-classroom experience, we've probably got to have some sort of revolution in this country uh, before higher ed institutions are promoting the ideas we care about. Um, and I mean this, I, I, I go back and forth with how much I think it's a boondoggle versus something we should tackle. But the reality is pretty much for every single problem, the university is going to teach you, American universities, the government's the answer. Um, that an institution is the answer, not we the people, not yeah. private charity, not uh, through the market. Um, they, they, that's, that's just what they're learning in the classroom. So the opportunity we have and why we organize on campus is tackling that on-campus experience. And like I said earlier, I mean, people want to hear something different from what they're getting in the classroom. And most of the people on the left, they phone it in. And what I mean by that is they've already got the curriculum. Why spend the time on campus doing the hard work of outreach, engaging, trying to recruit students? It's difficult. But the nice thing for us is we have these set of principles that our students are excited about. And so it it ignites their passion to go out and talk to other students, to bring them to our ideas. And it, and it does, it connects with students on campus. We do street theater, we call it campus activism, trying to build different things, engage students, get them excited. Even if it's just 10 seconds of them coming over and asking, what the hell is this that you guys have built? Getting them to engage and start to think about the proper role of government. That's the name of the game. If you can have a conversation with a student or any person in the country about the proper role of government, I think a lot of people on our side miss this. That is a winning conversation because most of the time they're not having that. And I'm not talking about a conversation about Hillary's emails, Trump's hair, Trump's Twitter account. All that's noise, right? And people can have opinions about style. Okay, fine. Right. But the proper role of government in our lives, that is a real conversation. That's a philosophical conversation, but in a pragmatic way that impacts people. And so, you know, when you talk about campus, that is what we're trying to do. You mentioned what's happening right now. I mean, uh, we were pretty surprised to see as many campuses shut down as quickly as they did. I think you're right in some cases. You know, these are institutions. I do believe they have a right to, to, to make decisions. I also think some of their uh, customers, the students, uh, should be pretty floored at the fact that they're still paying full tuition for the education they're getting versus yeah. what they were promised. You know, the room and board and some of this stuff is just outrageous. While they're getting but, their PPP loan and they're still building on their endowments. Right. It's, uh, I, I, I wish I owned a university. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. um, but, it, you know, them shutting down with COVID-19, I think it's going to create an interesting opportunity in the fall. I do think campuses will be back. 
for us, we have an event this summer called Mobilize 2020, uh, August 6th, 7th, and 8th in Austin. I'm pretty optimistic we're going to have the event. Uh, people think I'm out of my mind, but we're going to have over 1,000 students. I think the country opens up by mid-June. Texas is hopefully going to be one of the leaders uh, of our initial steps that, that point to that. But we are seeing something pretty crazy. Like right now, we've already had, we, we, we uh, launched this about a month ago. We've had 1,600 students apply to attend. And what that tells me is people are looking for something, right? They're looking for an outlet. They're looking to re-engage. And I'm not just talking about the ideas. I just think they want to engage with individuals, right? They want to engage with peers. They want to get back to having a social life. Um, and so I think that'll, that'll parlay in the fall as well when people come back. I think it'll be a fresh start for everybody. And I think uh, especially those that aren't freshmen, people that are returning, um, I'm hoping it'll, it'll cause people to think about COVID, think about that government's role part of the equation, and give us an opportunity to recruit a lot of new folks to our ideas. Well, as a, kind of a quasi-advisor for things that you've done, which I've been glad to be able to do, I've been to these national events you've got, and it amazes me the thoughtfulness, the focus, and the purpose of these kids. You know, when I was in college, old guy that I am in the mid to late 80s, you know, I'd have these arguments on campus with people on various issues, um, economics issues in particular. I, mean, I was kind of, <laughs> I was in the liberty movement, you know, before there was a real liberty movement and uh, just trying to talk about rationality, constitutional principles. And we'd have these arguments and then you might be able to, some people would be like, oh, wow, well, I don't want to be around that guy anymore. But, but most people, even if they disagreed with you, would be like, wow, that was an interesting discussion. Thanks. That's not happening on campuses anymore, is it? No, I, I always tell when people ask me to describe one word uh, for college campuses in America, I typically will say emotional. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of uh, the activist groups, especially those on the left um, and some on the right, have turned to emotion. Um, you know, we live in a soundbite world. Uh, you know, the, the 30 second viral clip on, on social media is what people are going for. And I get that. I mean, you know, we, we put out content, you're trying to get eyeballs. Um, we have a rule principle and shareable, you gotta be principal. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, uh, there's so much emotion. It's so heated. Um, because most people aren't having conversation. They are shouting at each other, right? It's not a talk, then listen, digest, think, then talk yeah. again. Yeah. Right. It is shout. They shout back. And the biggest thing that worries me on campuses right now is this, this trend of trying to silence others. So we see this time and time again, we have speakers, um, you know, some of the, sometimes our, our young Americans Liberty chapters will be delayed in, in their ability to get recognized. This has become a tactic that should scare all of us. And that's the muzzle tactic, right? So you disagree with somebody's beliefs. True philosophical beliefs. I'm not talking about tactics. I'm not talking about, you know, personality. But you disagree with somebody's beliefs, and so you turn to muzzling them, to yeah. silencing them, to silencing speakers that align with them because you think that is defending your ideology. Could not be further from the truth. Right. I mean, the 60s um, showed us. I mean, the left used to lean on free speech, and it has become weaponized um, because if anybody says anything – that the left disagrees with, you know, all of a sudden you're a bigot, you're a misogynist, you're a racist. Um, and, it, you know, a lot of these people could not be further from the truth, but 
that is what they use to silence them. And so that I worry about. And I think all of us should worry about that. that is why free speech should be such a big issue. Um, because if we don't have the ability to speak, then we don't have the ability to have the conversation you're talking about. We don't have the ability to have a dialogue and a back and forth. And to be rational thinking adults, you got to have that. Well, and what's happening more and more is not only are administrations on college campuses supporting this muzzling, but you're frankly starting to see it in government institutions as well. This kind of hits a sweet spot of what's really the theme of my podcast is against nice thing. Because, you know, these people who are doing this muzzling, what they think they're doing and what they state often that they're trying to do is to get people to conform to some ideals that are good for everybody, you know, that, that are helpful for them, you know, that they, and I make the point, nice people really are the meanest, most evil people in the world. They have mean people suck bumper stickers on their car. And, but yet they don't understand how truly mean and evil they can be. They're not, they have no guiding principles like the constitution for all this. And yet kindness is really the, the way we need to go. I love, you know, I see the Ron Paul pictures behind you, which I love Ron. You know, he talks about the, the love approach, you know, and he comes from a very Christian approach on this, a biblical approach where he, he just wanted to reason with people, help them understand issues. But he also had this firmness about him consistently to have courage to stand for those ideas. This is why I loved working for Thomas Massey. And I wouldn't have, I had no ambition to go to Capitol Hill at all, but for guys like that, you'll do it because that, that helps and inspire people. He really epitomizes what you're trying to get to these kids. He's kind of a happy warrior, but he reasons with people. He gets the soundbite out well, but he also uh, firmly stands when he knows he's going to have a barrage of attacks coming against him. This is fundamentally what I want all my guests on this podcast to be able to communicate what you're doing so well is this idea that standing for principles requires courage. It requires effort. It requires a desire and ability to stay away from the emotions. We're all going to have more human beings, but you know, stay away from the emotions driving the argument and drive it with uh, passion and reason. And uh, you're doing this well with these kids, but I, I'm sure that they're getting bludgeoned all over the place. The kids are connected with Young Americans for Liberty. Yeah, and that's the reasons why we really, at the national level, try to try to give uh, some backup, some support to our students in terms of letting them look. You know, if you're getting shut down, we've won nearly 60 cases for free speech reform where we've gone after administrations, uh, sometimes in court, sometimes a threatening letter from a, a lawyer will, will do the trick, but you know, we want to show our students we have their back. Um, but I think you're right. I think, look, this consistency, I mean, we do think that liberty brings people together. We think liberty uh, is, a, is a peaceful, beautiful message, and it should be something that doesn't drive a wedge. It should be something that, I mean, we're trying to give human flourishing to as many people as possible. And I think that's one of the major flaws. A lot of people that believe in limited government, it's something they miss, which is, we are trying to bring the most amount of prosperity to as many people as possible. And we truly believe our ideas and our solutions will do that. It's like when you talk about, you know, let's pick a specific issue, healthcare. I think so many people on our side, Jim, they miss this, where it's like, you got to leave with, hold on. I'm going to tell you what I believe, but the reason I believe 
X is because I think it can produce the most amount of quality healthcare for the most amount of people. Like if you don't lead with that, you can't just say, oh, I believe in free market healthcare. Well, yeah, of course, but why? And I think so many, so many advocates of liberty, we need to really push ourselves to reach people where they're at and realize that you know, we're not some fringe issue. We are the gut reaction of everyday Americans. Liberty yeah. is in the blood of Americans. People don't think that the government should be reading their emails and looking at their text messages. People mm-hmm. don't think that the government should take 25 to 35 cents of every dollar you make, right? People don't think we should have troops in 130 countries around the world. Yeah. People are with us. We need to be better at messaging to them, getting them to see that our ideas are mainstream that's how you build a movement. That's how you get people to really get involved and get excited. And yes, be happy Liberty Warriors because these ideas are things that should bring joy to so many people's lives. It brings life. It brings opportunity to people. And it, when we have this ability to pull, if we can gain it, to pull back the restraints of government upon us, put the power into individuals to be able to pursue what they want to pursue. I mean, it's a beautiful life that we have in front of us. we got to tell the stories of this, you know, you guys do a good job of that. But you know, the opportunities that people find for themselves, the, the harm that is caused in right now with this COVID-19 thing where people are absolutely uh, losing everything that they worked hard to obtain. This is what government does. I mean, government does not create hope. It doesn't create health. I just think it's really interesting that, uh, you know, we, we, we've lost this concept that uh, Jefferson talked about, you know, of wise and frugal government when we restrain government and it only does the things that it's supposed to be doing and nothing more, that it just allows people to um, to get on the path of success. And I, I think young people aren't hearing it enough. And uh, I, I appreciate you inspiring them this way because I think it's going to be critical. So we're getting, um, it's going to be critical for the future of this country, and especially what you guys are doing, by the way, with young candidates around the country that are getting elected and will be the leaders for the future. So you guys are laying a, a wonderful foundation there. Before we get too far down the line, because we're getting kind of close to our time here, I know, and your time, and I appreciate you taking a moment here. Tell me about what's going on in Florida. I want to shift to Second Amendment issues, because actually we're seeing this in many, many states. And you as a private citizen <laughs> have just gotten out there, and there, there's some really quirky going on in Florida right now that that these politicians are taking advantage of this situation to try to restrain people's fundamental human rights. What's going on? Yeah, so here's the skinny. So I live in Florida. My wife's Air Force stationed there. Uh, so I'm a Florida resident. Been there a couple of years now. And, um, you know, this whole COVID situation happens. And we have every single elected statewide um, official in Florida is Republican, except Nikki Freed. She's the Democrat. And she is the agriculture commissioner. Well, in Florida, the Ag Commissioner is the one that issues the concealed weapons license. And in Florida, we're a shall-issue state, meaning if you provide what they ask you for, which is fingerprints, and that you took the concealed weapons license course, you know, there's an NRA 
type course. There's a few of you can take. If you provide that, guess what? The government shall issue, right? There's no, there's no litmus test. There's nothing further. So I'm sitting at home and I see this, this uh, battle start to go on between our attorney general and the ag commissioner because the ag commissioner decided just arbitrarily, Hey, we're going to shut down the concealed weapons license process. Um, you know, and then I started to dig in and I said, well, I guess she's motivated to do that. Right. And at first I thought, well, I don't think she'd do it for political reasons, but never give a politician too much credit. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't, it didn't piss me off enough to take action until I saw that in the midst of the pandemic and all of her talking points about having to shut down the ability for Floridians to defend themselves, she hosted a fundraiser, a national fundraiser for Joe Biden. Now it was virtual. I'm not saying she was in person, but talk about a priority problem. Yeah. Right. That here she is saying she can't do her job because everybody has to shut down and not do anything. And so she shuts down the electronic process. Just to be clear, this isn't an in-person thing. An electronic process to issue concealed weapons licenses in the state of Florida. And so I, I just said, look, this is enough. Uh, my attorneys got together. So um, we are, we've officially threatened a lawsuit. Uh, I'm going to break this here. Not sure when we're going to air this, but I'll tell you this. We are officially going to be suing. Um, and so that is going to be happening. We are uh, we're finalizing paperwork now. But we're suing to say, listen, you don't have the right to shut this down. And there's tons. I could list off the hypocritical things she's done. She's yeah. left open other types of applications, like for hemp. There's a hemp license in Florida. You know, you and me, Jim, we love hemp. I'm, I'm you know, yeah, rope absolutely. not dope. We're all on board. But have some consistency in what you're doing and don't be arbitrary about it. And then now she's taking our threatening lawsuit and using it to raise money with her gun grabbing donors. So wow. if she wasn't exposed then, now she is exposed. But we're going to fight to get her to have to continue to issue these, you know, put a hold on her whole, you know, hey, we're canceling this. Um, and we're going to fight tooth and nail to stand up and say, listen, everyone in the state of Florida has a right to defend themselves, has a right to defend their family. And uh, we're not going to hold back. YAL, when we need to, uh, we don't just walk the walk, or excuse me, we don't just talk the talk. We take the action, right? We get up, we walk the walk, we show up. And uh, I really want people to see that. And I feel as a servant leader, I want to make sure I'm doing that. And so that's what we're doing in Florida. Listen, we cannot say enough that the Second Amendment is a fundamental human right. We talk about the abuses of human rights around the world, and there are many, and unrelated to guns, of course, sometimes propagated because individuals don't have guns, which just makes the point. It is a fundamental human right. It's just not just one of those things that we lay out there um, that, that you know the government gave people a special privilege to have guns. No, all of our rights emanate from the people. So if we don't take this stand, that's, that's a very servant leader thing of you, because if we don't take this stand on these issues, we will lose the ground. We can't be nice about it. We can't be, you know, too, too quote unquote professional or too thoughtful about it. We know we don't have to think about it. It's laid out right there very clearly and we have to push it. These people, and this is where we are losing it in this country. We have many things going on, crisis, crises that we create from the government, whether it's the Federal Reserve printing money like crazy or it's, some, uh, or it's a crisis like this where we could have been prepared, but we didn't prepare. 
And then the problem comes and these politicians are going to take advantage and they don't understand they serve us. We don't serve them. We've got to reassert these principles. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a line. You're going to like politics. Isn't nice. Um, I think uh, if, if there's ever a time I've said this to our students, I've said this to, you know, different people in our network that reach out and have questions and they're encouraging, but they have questions. I say, listen, if there's ever a time to speak out, if there's ever a time to stand up, how is it not right now? Yeah. And the, 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 the truth is this, you either believe in liberty in times of crisis or you don't believe in liberty at all. You can't cherry pick. Yeah. But to see everything that's happening, to see uh, politicians politicizing this virus, this has got to be the time to stand up. And to those, you're right. Those that want to get milk toast and want to be cautious. And of all the times in my life, this has got to be the time that we stand up loudly, proudly, boldly, and talk about and defend our ideas. This is the moment. You know, uh, I always use this example because politics isn't nice. And I still maintain that the nicest people are usually the most, e not in every case, but usually the most evil corrupt people that there are because they're subjective. They want something that matters to them. They don't take thought to you. People like us that are standing for liberty tend to be, if they're doing it in the right way, the most uh, moral and thoughtful people that there are. You know, kind, no one thinks it's kind uh, for a parent not to discipline their child. And no child being disciplined thinks it's very nice. But we, that's the same thing in, in, in when we're looking at everything that's taking place in this country, when we, look, we consider our liberties. If we're not willing to assert those liberties, which we know out of kindness is the best for everybody, even if they don't believe in our principle, if they're able to live under that liberty, they're going to get the best for their family, for them as an individual, for the others around them that they care about. We know that constitutional principles are the best thing for everyone's prosperity. And we have to keep fighting for that. But people are going to like it when we make direct statements, when we correct them, when we show them where they're wrong. Again, not through the nasty, not through the same methods that they use to shut everyone down, but by just laying it out. I mean, this is the time to assert this most. This is why I'm so excited about these demonstrations that are taking place all over the country. I think that they're actually highly beneficial for the future of this country. Hopefully it's enough. I mean, I'm really worried about whether we're actually going to make it there, but that's why we got to keep doing this. And that's why I appreciate what you're doing. I, I think it's critical to what we're, what we need to happen. Uh, with that, we're getting towards the end here. Any last thoughts you might have? What, uh, you know, what, what do people need to know going away from this in your opinion? Yeah, I think be bold. And I think uh, just to comment and to put a nugget on what you said, I think leadership means telling the truth, uh, especially when it's not popular. And I think uh, this is a time where we, we really need to be speaking out. We need to be firm about what it is we believe and that this is the time to do it. Um, and for folks who want to get involved, yaliberty.org. Um, we would love to have folks, uh, you know, joining us uh, with our deployments. Uh, a lot of our door knockers, obviously, we're making phone calls and doing some texting right now and adapting as needed. But uh, I will tell you, look, we're trying to build a bench across the country. And uh, I think that, you know, you have, a, you have a COVID crisis in a couple of years. I would hope that the leadership that we've built across the country, um, you know, we're in a much better spot to, to really understand what is government's role in our life. 
And I would really, really push people to have those conversations with neighbors, have those conversations with your family. What is the proper role of government? Because if there's ever a time for people to have that at the forefront and to be thinking about it, now is that time. So I'd urge everybody uh, to continue to do that. And we're going to tell people uh, as we get this podcast up, yaliberty.org. It's a fantastic organization, Cliff. And uh, I'm really proud of the work that you've done. I'm just, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have you as a friend and to see the excellent work that you're doing. You work your butt off. I, I see that <laughs> more than people on here know. I know how hard you're working and it's making a big difference. And so thank you so much for what you're doing. Appreciate you being on with us uh, today. It's, I think it's very helpful for people to know uh, a little bit more about what you're doing and really to understand better what the situation we're in. So I just want to thank you very much for that. Yeah, we appreciate as always, Jim, your mentorship, your guidance. Um, and for all your listeners out there, you know, Jim's a, a real patriot. And uh, <laughs> if I had a hundred gyms, we'd be, uh, we'd be in a, we'd have our new revolution. So we're working on it. So thank you for everything as well. Appreciate you having me on. Always going to be there for you, my friend. And thanks for being there for us as well, too. Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. And again, before you leave us, I just want to ask you, connect with us on our email list and our social media. Go to politicsisntnice.com. Click on the join our email list button. We'll get you information related to what we learned here today, but also um, other information that we're finding out along the way. It'll be a great resource for you. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash against nice and our Twitter page at against nice. Go check us out there and we look forward to talking to you, getting your feedback, finding out more from you. Thanks and have a great day.